You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Today we'll be discussing silver diamine fluoride and the protocol for placing a restoration immediately over it. Our guest is Dr. Jared Johnson, a practicing pediatric dentist and a diplomat of the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry. He has received advanced training in behavior management, sedation, hospital dentistry, trauma, special health care needs, interceptive orthodontics, space maintenance, oral hygiene, and dietary counseling. Dr. Johnson, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Yeah, it's great having uh, being able to be on the show and talk about one of the things that we use clinically in my practice, and that being silver diamine fluoride, and you know maybe getting through some of the misnomers about the use of it and how it can be a huge benefit in in your practice, even if it is just a small tool. We're very happy to have someone with your expertise and knowledge regarding this material, commonly referred to as SDF. It's not new, right? It's been around. Uh, there is still some confusion about it. So if you could just clarify what that is, um, what that confusion is, and also how are you using SDF silver diamine fluoride in your practice? I think a lot of the confusion is because this product is relatively new. If we look at the last six years, when I was in residency, we didn't even get to train with it. It was just on, you know, the brink of coming out. At that point, many clinicians were starting to use, uh, you know, house solution or the silver nitrate with a fluoride over it. And we've had uh, newer companies come out with some products that are available in the U.S. And we're still trying to figure out what exactly this product can do, because we know it doesn't arrest every single lesion. Uh, We know that SDF is definitely desirable compared to sedation and anesthesia for some parents. We know after one application, we can get an arrest rate of 47 to 90 percent. And that reapplication of the product uh, may be also necessary. We also know now that it's more effective than a fluoride varnish every three months. And when we're using this at our office, we also need to keep in mind that we need to address other caries risk factors. I think this has also been a hot topic within the Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. We actually have guidelines that are great for clinicians to use. If you go to the AAPD website, aap.org, and go to the research tab. You can go to oral policies and recommendations and find the current best evidence and guidelines on applying the material. And I think that is where the confusion lies because originally we were applying it once and now we're, we know that applying it twice a year is more effective than applying it once a year and also applying it three times a year is more effective than applying it just twice. So that was something new that we learned and that's changed. We also know that we need the teeth to be dry. And that can be very, very difficult on a one, two or three-year-old to get the teeth adequately dry, especially if we're looking at a child who may present with severe early childhood caries or traditional milk caries from from nursing ad lib throughout the night and trying to do that on four teeth at once. So we're still trying to figure out how long we need to apply this. We know that most of the reaction occurs after one minute. So one minute of application time, you got four teeth and you have an infant knee to knee, you gotta be realistic on on what's going on with the product. So I think that's why there's still some confusion out there. And currently I know I'm aware of the University of Iowa where I uh, do a day a month teaching at, they're actually doing a study to try to get this FDA approved because we also know right now that SDF is used off-label in kids and it's really for dentin hypersensitivity that it's approved uh, through the way a fluoride varnish was approved. So 
that's another obstacle that hopefully we'll get more information. And I think there's a lot of things coming down the pipeline with the research. And I think if we pay attention to, you know, the AAPD and the ADA on the publications that they have coming out, we're going to find out a lot more of how this product can actually fit into a clinician's dental office. Just for those that aren't too familiar with silver diamine fluoride based on the label is for sensitivity, correct? For dentin sensitivity? Correct. It's for dentin hypersensitivity. So, mm -hmm. you know, typically, you know, you have a patient where you've exhausted every option and they have sensitive teeth, maybe something that you traditionally would put them on Sensodyne for. This is a product that can help due to the high fluoride content and um, being able to provide them relief with the interaction of the fluoride under it. So currently it's used off-label because it's not currently FDA approved. There are, you know, fluoride varnish for anti-caries activity is currently still off-label. That has not been approved in the U.S. Oral sedation on kids under six with some of the drugs we have is off-label. We are lucky that we have the AAPD and the ADA standing behind us with guidelines to allow us to use this in our practice. And if you're not using it in your practice, it would be something that I would encourage you to do the research on because if we can catch things early and slow down lesions or arrest lesions, we can take fewer kids to the hospital, fewer kids undergoing sedation at young age. And we're, it, right now we're kind of in a perfect storm where everywhere around the country, sedation laws are becoming more strict and kids' cooperation with the way that parenting is going is getting more difficult. So it's we really have a perfect storm brewing in pediatric dentistry, and silver diamine fluoride definitely has a, a fit within the uh, pediatric, and especially, I think, also geriatric population because it's similar individuals we're, we're dealing with as mm -hmm. far as the cooperation. Yeah, and so regarding SDF, in your office, what, what product do you use that provides you with that uh, silver diamine fluoride effect? So there's uh, two products available. Uh, Advantage Rest has a product uh, on the market, and that one does not have the second step of the potassium iodide. And then there's the Revastar out now that recently came out uh, about a year ago in the United States, and that has a second step of a potassium iodide. And one of the advantages to having the potassium iodide in the content is that it will precipitate out silver which is responsible for the staining of the product. So it can be a more aesthetic solution in certain situations. Uh, the other thing you might want to consider when using the Revastar, the pH is a little bit higher, so it can be very caustic to tissues. So it's recommended that a barrier be placed uh, between the gingiva. And when I first started using the product on kids, you know, I was not using it correctly. So you really need to follow the IFU or the instructions for use that come with the product. The first case I used it on, I had a kid that we were trying to use on. I said, oh, we have this great new product. It won't stain. And I went ahead and do the, did the silver diamine fluoride and the potassium iodide. And we had them back two weeks later to do the second application. And the teeth were jet black. And I said, what did I do wrong? So I went to my lab and I took some of this material and I did the same thing. I you know, tried to play around with it. I put on the extracted teeth, I put the silver diamine fluoride and then the potassium iodide. And I looked at the next day and it was black. And I said, well, what am I doing wrong? And I wasn't applying the potassium iodide for a long enough period of time. And so I went back into the same thing again and I applied it two to three minutes. And lo and behold, did the same thing with the Advantage Arrest product, did a time-lapse video. And it came back that truly, if you apply this correctly, you can minimize the staining and achieve aesthetic results. That may not always be possible in an uncooperative kid. So, you know, you got to kind of weigh the risks and the benefits of you know using that product. 
What we also know from, uh, there's one study out there comparing the two, the SDF and the potassium iodide, uh, two-step and then the one-step, and they're showing that in the in root carries, 93% arrest for the SDF and the potassium iodide are the, a similar protocol to the Revastar and then 90% uh, arrest rate in root carries for SDF. I think, I think that's something that we'll probably know more about as uh, more studies are coming out down the road. So in your office, you've been uh, successful now that you're following IFU fairly stringently with the uh, Revastar, which is which is good to know. Um, can you explain the zombie effect? Yeah, so the zombie effect, I think you're referring to a paper that was published back in Scientific Reports on the antibacterial uh, activity of silver mm -hmm. and the zombie effect. Interesting that you bring that up. That study originally was citing the use of silver nitrate or the house solution. But what they were doing is they were testing how the silver ion worked with bacteria, and they were finding that the initial inhibitory effect of the silver on the bacteria, once the bacteria died, that silver wasn't used up. So it wasn't like the molecule lost potential to impact another bacteria. So once it went through the protocol in one of the bacteria, it was actually able to be released after the bacteria died and then go ahead on and still have the same effect on a, another bacteria. So it kind of hangs around a little bit and can be reused. Let me ask you this. What are the situations where you would choose not to restore immediately after placing Revastar? We know that the arrest rate, it can vary based on the, the type of the lesion that you're treating and things. So, you know, maybe where we have a child and they have a deep carious lesion, and that's, they have maybe one tooth that's a little bit deeper, and it's not really worth taking that kid to the hospital. But I do not know if that kid has reversible pulpitis or irreversible pulpitis. So one of the things we'll use to help aid in the diagnosis is we'll go ahead and, and apply, a, you know, a desensitizing treatment and have the patient back in two weeks and see how things are going. We obviously don't want to be using a, a product to facilitate a minimally invasive smart restoration when the tooth is already irreversibly inflamed. And we've had many situations where we've done that at my office. So I'll come back and the kid's still having pain. And, you know, I'm not comfortable moving forward with something that's minimally invasive on something where the child's not getting relief and we're not progressing in the right direction. We have had other situations where the, we apply that and the kid comes back and the parents are so thankful. They said, that took away all the discomfort he had when eating. I said, great. Let's apply it one more time and then let's seal this up with either a hall crown or a glass ionomer such, you know, as Reva Protect or the Reva Self Cure HV. Those work well at, you know, facilitating uh, a smart restoration to help seal up the cavity. One of the things I'd like to point out is we do have some good research on SDF. And one of the things that is really important to understand that the arrest rate is different on different teeth. So if we're looking at an anterior tooth versus a posterior tooth, the odds ratio to arrest anterior tooth versus a posterior tooth is 5.5. So you're five times more likely to arrest a lesion on the anterior tooth than the posterior tooth. When we break that down to surfaces, we're 15.6 times more likely to arrest a buccal or lingual surface than an occlusal or interproximal surface. And I think this, to me, just comes back down to the, the idea that kids are eating junk, they're eating crackers, chips, goldfish, gummies. And if you're getting that stuff stuck in the lesion and there's sugar or carbs sitting in the cavity all day in the occlusal groove or an interproximal box, yes, you can't paint enough SDF on there to arrest that lesion. You're going to need to put something else in there. So that's why I found that after we figure out what's going on with some of the teeth, it, it's more effective to cover that up with 
a glass ionomer to protect it from food infection while you're waiting for the kit to mature and get conventional treatment or to go ahead and place, you know, something like a hall crown or a stainless steel crown over the lesion as well, if that's acceptable for aesthetics for the parent. What is the ideal situation for placing a restoration immediately after placing SDF? So what's the perfect condition for that? So this is one thing that has really piqued my interest. So when we look at the conventional literature for permanent teeth, let's take permanent teeth, for example. This is huge. I know pediatric dentists, there's this thing called the tween tooth or the tooth that's in between the pediatric dentist and the endodontist. It's a six-year molar with a deep carious lesion. And everyone knows these are, they're young kids. They're not fun to treat. And one of the things that has gotten me excited about some of the newer products, such as the Revastar, has been indirect pulp therapy. They did a study where they did a two-step procedure and they did RMGI, they did IRM, and then they did a a GI and they went back in the teeth and they found there was no difference in the amount of cultivated bacteria that was available when they went back into the tooth as long as the coronal seal was maintained. Currently, what excites me is, you know, if you have enough remaining dent and thickness, this product could also lower the amount of bacteria that are available inside that tooth. And then also with the two-step process of the potassium iodide, we can still obtain an aesthetic outcome. And, you know, I've done this for multiple kids at my office where we have the rubber dam on because we don't know if we're going to have a pulp exposure. And we're able to do the SDF, potassium iodide, indirect pulp cap, and then go ahead and place a white restoration sometimes composite, sometimes glass ionomer, depending on the carry's risk, and have a really nice aesthetic result. Now, I don't know if this is going to be clinically different, but if you, I treat about 65% Medicaid at my office, and there aren't many endodontists in my area that will see Medicaid. And indirect pulp capping is definitely here. There are times where I don't do it, but it's definitely here to stay. And I think this could be a great adjunct to public health in general for deep carious lesions that meet the stringent criteria for an indirect pulp cap. And I'm just really excited to see where that can go to help out a population that really might not have the access to care that you or I have. And if we can do that and save more teeth and and keep things healthy and vital, I think it's just going to be a potential game changer for public health clinics, pediatric dentists, you know, and then, you know, a more conservative approach to to people that might not be able to afford going to the endodontist and don't want to have their tooth removed. Yeah, no, and that's a, a great benefit to the profession as a whole and to the patient population that you just described. Um, so that's another incredible application for SDF. When, just in closing, when is FDA going to get this all through the bureaucracy? Yeah, I don't know when that's going to happen. Obviously, we've got to have the study to do it. So hopefully, you know, the University of Iowa can get enough people to participate in the study and and pull through. I think regardless of what happens with that, it's just nice to be able to use things on label. But regardless of what happens, we already have the ADA and the AAPD's attention. And I think having their support definitely gives you as a clinician to have the sound basis if you follow the guidelines and their protocols and stay up to date because those are going to change. What's on there today may not be what's on there next year as we find out more information, but just staying up to date as a clinician and trying to use this in a way that's intent. You don't want to be putting this, you know, in doing definitive treatment with irreversible pulpitis. There's just common sense things that 
you know, we need to follow as clinicians based on our training. And that starts with a proper diagnosis. But I'm just really excited. It's another tool to have at your office. There's some other ways that I incorporate it at my office, but it's there's no one solution for every patient in every situation. It, it's really a conversation that you have to have with the parent, the guardian, and there may be three different options for one child and they may all work. And, you know, maybe the parent can't afford one and this is another alternative to, to buy some time or buy some time for cooperation as well. So I think dentists just need to keep an open mind. I, this definitely was not available when I graduated dental school and it's something that I've had to pick up and learn. So just being a lifelong learner and, and trying to stay up to date on the current trends, you know, who knows if where this is going to go. We might find out more over the next few years and find out that this is really effect, more effective at, for indirect pulp therapy. We not, but I, I'm excited to see where the potential for pro newer products come. And this one has definitely, we have some good research to back the current use of SDF uh, within the literature for sure. Yeah. And as you say, it's a it's a very satisfying feeling to be a dental practitioner and a dental care provider to be able to offer a service to individuals that don't have the money to go to an endodontist and you could provide many years of uh, service for that tooth without having that endodontic treatment done with, with just a simple thing like putting silver diamine fluoride in there used properly with as Revastar's instructions describe uh, as an indirect pulp cap procedure with a restoration on top of it. It's a very, very exciting possibility, and it seems like you've been already doing it that and successfully. Thanks very much for your time, Dr. Johnson. And um, if anybody wants to learn more about the product, they can also contact SDI. That's the company that uh, manufactures Revistar, and I'm sure they have information they can send you. And again, Dr. Johnson, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Yes, this has been fun. It's been a pleasure. And I hope our list, your listeners have gained a little more information uh, about SDF. And hopefully they can start doing a little more research and this maybe it sparked their interest in how they can be a little more conservative in, in some cases, especially when treating, you know, a population that's so vulnerable, the kids and, and underserved. 